0: Welcome to Box Talk, a podcast for affiliates and coaches, powered by Box Pro Magazine. Welcome to this episode of Box Talk. I am here with a very special guest. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, Michael Bann. I'm one of the head coaches here at OPEX Fitness, and I'm one of the CCP instructors for our education platform as well.
0: Sounds like a a lot of work and I know you said you just got back from Boston and teaching out there so I know you're a busy man we appreciate you sitting down with us today and chatting with us um, yeah my pleasure yeah and Michael I'd love to kind of you know just start off with your story and and how you got to be where you are today and in the position you are um, and yeah just how you've kind of grown within this industry and come to be a part of it
1: yeah I guess um, you know my journey started well, I think actually it's probably started when I was in high school. I was, you know, in the weightlifting class and I was the senior and for whatever reason, I just, I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to help out all the freshman kids that are coming in. And, um, I always was drawn to the strength training for whatever reason, when you're 18, it's probably because you're an 18 year old guy and you want six pack abs. Um, but then, uh, from there, you know, I, I did a lot of odd things and then I started college and I studied exercise science at NAU, so Northern Arizona university. Um, I actually had never done CrossFit or anything like that. Um, I was that conventional, like, Hey, I'm going to do back and buys Monday. Well, actually no chest Monday bench presses, always Monday and then back and buys on Tuesday and set and you know, so on and so forth. And then, uh, I moved to NAU and, I had a really, really interesting guy ask me if I wanted to work for him, and he had his doctorate in physical therapy. His his name is John Tuatelli, and um, basically said, Hey, do you want to work for me? And I'll pay for your certifications, and I'll teach you things. So he was a strength coach and a PT, and uh, I worked for and under uh, Carl DeRosa as well. And um, I just started to realize that there was a lot more to fitness than just curls and calf raises. Right. So they had a CrossFit gym in their gym. So there was a physical therapy clinic, a CrossFit gym, a commercial gym all in one. And so I got involved with coaching CrossFit. Um, I, I wouldn't really call it CrossFit. It was more of like, Hey, like back in like Oh nine, it was, you do a wad. But when we were doing it, it was, hey, we're going to do some strength stuff and then we're going to do some conditioning afterwards. So I guess it was more classic strength and conditioning. And uh, over time, I switched over to CrossFit Flagstaff with Lisa Ray and Mike Ray. And they, you know, guided me a lot on, you know, different avenues, having been around longer than I had been. And then I decided I wanted to come back to sunny Scottsdale for whatever reason. It was June. So I decided to transfer to Arizona State and the heat. Um, I was like, but yeah, it was bad a bad decision, but <laughs> it's <all> terrible. Right. <laughs> um, but I ended up going to ASU cause it had a top 10 kinesiology program and I wanted to study kin and all that. So that's where I started to work for a few different, uh, gyms. I worked for Scottsdale healthcare gym. Uh, I worked for a CrossFit gym and that was my real first exposure to like owning a class in a CrossFit gym. Cause I didn't work for CrossFit Flagstaff. I just trained there a lot. And, they taught me a lot of stuff, but this was my first chance to really build out like a CrossFit gym, and it was Cactus CrossFit, and that was with Kevin Cherick, and he was very supportive in my growth. He was like, hey, if you want to go learn stuff, go learn stuff, and if you want to implement it, implement it. So he was very, very supportive, and then somewhere along the lines, I, uh, I met James Fitzgerald, and I basically had a lot of conversations with him, and one day he just emailed me, and he was like, hey, I want you to be my head guy here for on-site and all that. So I started working here and I guess the rest is kind of history. Um, obviously I've been here for, I think this is my fourth year now. So yeah, that's, that's the short story.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's so cool how it started out with you even wanting to teach the freshmen that were coming in and you having all kind of already that mentality of, Hmm, I'm gonna take a wing. Maybe it was because you're like I'm a big bad senior and I want to show them what's up. But I think it's neat that that's kind of even translated to now and how you're teaching people now and are sort of a movement expert even now.
1: Yeah, well, uh, so the reason why i I remember high school was I had a guy named Jason Brierly, and I only know that now because a few months ago he randomly added me on Facebook and sent me a message and was like, "Dude, I'm going to the gym." And he was one of those younger guys, right? And so he goes to the gym, and he's like, "I went to the gym, and then I randomly thought about you, man. I was just kind of curious what you're up to, so I decided to Google you and found you, and here I am. You know, how are you been?" And so we started talking. I was like, "Oh, great, man. That's cool that I had that kind of impact. But if you would have asked me that question six months ago, I probably would have said when I started at university studying this in academia. Um, and no, I don't. I honestly don't think it was ever big bad." Like senior, I've always just loved helping people. I read my first medical journal when I was eight years old, oh. albeit I didn't really understand <laughs> a lot of it.
0: I was going to say, how much um, did you actually absorb?
1: <laughs> not a whole lot, but I read a bunch of words.
0: Ooh. I mean, the fact that you were um, eight and you read a medical journal, well done.
1: I was at the airport. Our flight was delayed. My dad went and bought me like an American heart journal and uh, I was just reading it. And I always knew that I wanted to study health and wellness and and some form of medicine since I was that old. Like I've just been obsessed with it my entire life. So I guess that's kind of where I started to think about like movement was I started thinking like, Hey, people are moving terribly and they're going to get hurt. So I went through FMS and I was like, oh man, you got to be a two, two for your shoulders or you're going to get hurt or you got to be at least a two on the squat or you're going to get hurt. And, you know, I really bought into that for a while and I was like, you know, you have to have this type of movement in order to be able to do this. And then I spent probably three years doing assessments on people and I, I would on average get about 200 assessments, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on the time of year per month. And I would, yeah, so (laughs) I obsessed a little bit and I would do these for free. So every single person in our, in our CrossFit gym, and then at the healthcare gym as well, I would do these assessments on them. And I would try and design like some form of a a movement prep program or a corrective exercise program just to try and fix their movement. Cause I was like, they're going to get hurt. They're going to have pain and they've got to, they got to fix their movement. So after three years doing about 200 assessments and 200 ish programs a month, um, three, three and a half years, uh, that's when I ended up getting here to OPEX and that didn't change. I kept doing that here at OPEX, but I kind of, you know, had a conversation with a few of my mentors and I remember one of my mentors, we were talking about the research on like transverse abdominis and pain and back pain and contraction of the TA and all that. And He just said something so – it was James Fitzgerald. He said something so eloquent, and he just looks at me, and he goes, yeah, they got their TA to fire, so they got out of back pain. Or maybe they just subconsciously fixed their nutrition, their inflammation dropped, and their pain went away. So then their muscles started to contract again. And it was I was like, no, 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 no. Food, no, no. Movement. And he was like, okay, you'll see. That was all he said. And it sparked me, it actually infuriated me. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not wrong. I'm right. So I like dug into everything movement wise and I studied, I went through the DNS stuff. I went through PRI. I went through SFMA as well. I lied to them. I said, that I said I was a doctor because um, they're like, Hey, it's for <laughs> clinicians. And I was like, yeah, I'm a doctor. <laughs> they didn't check. I was going to um, say they
0: didn't check. It's kind of no, so, um,
1: that, that was really funny because I went to a conference and Greg Rose, who's like kind of one of the founders of SFMA and TPI and all that, um, he was the one that told me, he was like, hey, listen, are you going to refer people out every time they have pain? Are you going to just give away all of your clients? And uh, it was, I was like, no. And he was like, they're not going to ask for your license when you sign up for SFMA. Just go do it. It's not that complicated. And so that was my motivation. And then I met up with one of my other mentors, Jeff Barron, who's out of evolution physical therapy here in Scottsdale. And hands down to this day, the best physical therapist I've ever worked with since I started this journey over 10 years ago. And he was like, oh yeah, I've done SFMA. There's a lot of good principles in it. It's uh kind of dogmatic, but you learn a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I'll let you shadow me and then I'll teach you kind of what's usable. And so I did SFMA and then I just, I hung out with Jeff for thousands of hours. Like Jeff and I would just, I'd go in there just to watch him work on people. I'd go in there for him to work on me so I can authentically understand it. And then one day he took me uh, to a pain science conference with Greg Lehman. And I had already been seeing a lot of interesting things in the CrossFit world, like people moving terribly. We've all seen it. We see that that person with their knees caving in or that dreaded slightly round back, but they're not getting hurt. And I bought into the whole like CrossFit's going to kill you. It's going to give you injury dogma for a long time, but I didn't see it in person. And after a while I was like, wait, why am I not seeing people get hurt? Why are they not having pain? They're supposed to have pain. All these Gray cook and Lee Burton experts in the FMS world are saying they're going to have pain. And the DNS people are saying that they're going to have issues and, Ron Hurst got a PRI is like, this is going to cause pain. But I kept seeing people have those issues without pain. And so my brain started to be like, well, maybe it's not movement that causes pain. Maybe that's a high correlate. But again, correlation isn't causation. So I went to this pain science course and or conference with uh, Greg Lehman. And it was brilliant. It's uh, reconciling biomechanics with modern pain science. And um, he gave All of us, all the data. He's a brilliant clinician. He got his master's with Stu McGill and then did his doctorate in chiropractic medicine and then in PT. And he gave us all of this data from like three different fields. And he was basically showing like it doesn't actually add up in terms of like movement causing pain. And so then I started to look at what could it be. And I heard about the GI tract and digestive disorders and all of that. And I started seeing people that typically had irregular bowel movements. I started seeing people that had hyper amounts of stress, like sympathetic dominance in their nervous system. And then I started seeing a lot of people with um, like some form of, I don't don't know how to really word it, but it just seemed like they had like a, a dysbiosis would be a good way, but it wasn't like they classically had like a candida overgrowth, but they would have like some, the best way I could describe it would be they had like a neurotransmitter imbalance essentially. And they had like high amounts of anxiety or no motivation or anything like that. And I started seeing personality traits that went with injuries. And so, and I looked at what injury was and I started looking at pain and injury and I was like, wait a second, like you can be hurt without actually having damage. So you can actually have pain without tissue damage. It's kind of like if I have a paper cut and I squeeze some lemon juice into the cut, it hurts a lot more, but I didn't make anything worse. Hmm. So I kept seeing that in a lot of athletes, my own athletes, as well as, you know, athletes that are at OPEX and athletes just all over the world. And so I dug into kind of principles of functional medicine to just see, to see what I could find there. And, I kept digging deeper and deeper. And the more I looked at how people took care of their nutrition, I saw them actually get more mobile. And so I started to look at the anatomy of it. And I was like, all right, well, PRI. PRI was basically saying like James Anderson, when I was going through all their stuff, was like, well, you know, it's the autonomic nervous system. If they're in fight or flight mode, they're going to be all extended and their lats are turned on. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But then if your lats are really turned on, It can be harder to squat. Like if you have too much tilt in your pelvis, you can get kind of pinchy in the front of the hips and now you fold forward and that's not necessarily good for mechanics. So maybe there's something to this autonomic nervous system. And then I went to another conference with uh, Dr. Dr or Dr. Drobot was presenting. Uh, He's a doctor here in Scottsdale. And he was like, he basically said, the nervous system is king. And I was like, okay, I've been seeing that more and more. I see people saying the nervous system this. So I kind of went down that hole and then I started to have this suspicion that basically the GI tract and the enteric nervous system was a huge component of people's movement. And so I started to investigate like microbiome, like the microbiome and what different types of bacteria can do in the body. And I started to see how like if somebody took probiotics a month later, they had better squats, but I didn't really do a lot in terms of their, like I didn't give them fancy corrective exercises but I got their body to calm down systemic inflammation to calm down and they all started to move better and I think that's probably where I started to look at movement as not just like hey it's just movement it's it's movement but there's also so much that goes into like outside of the gym stuff and that's where I long story short I think that's kind of where I started to realize like how important movement is because you need to have good movement for you know snatches and you can't have horrible mechanics in a clean or a jerk but in order to learn those mechanics you had to have a fresh nervous system you can't be fatigued so that means you got to take care of everything else outside of the gym and so after going through all the pri stuff then i started to go down i guess like that funk man rabbit hole um And then I, I just figured out a way to blend it here at OPEX pretty well. I don't know if that answers your question with like, how did I become like an expert in movement, but that's how I view it right now. Like, I I don't really know how to put that into words other than what, what I've seen a lot of is, you know, people would take their adaptogens and their squat patterns would change. Or I saw, like, I have an example, like one of my guys, um, I just decided to ask, I was like, Hey man, try to go gluten free for a few weeks. And after he went gluten free, Everyone was saying a squat pattern change. It wasn't just me, but people were like, dude, you're squatting way better. But he didn't do any mobility. So that's kind of where I sit with movement. And I think it all started with like being obsessed with pain and thinking like movement's going to cause an injury. And then the more and more I dug into it, I was like, wait, we're wrong here. The industry is wrong. Like movement doesn't always cause pain, it can, but it doesn't always. And then I started thinking about injuries and I was like, well, movement doesn't always cause injuries. And and finishing going through grad school as well, I was writing on average, I think I was writing about five papers a week. And I was reading about 30 different studies a week. Um, and it always revolved back around to, you know, basically looking at movement. And then I kept seeing things like the FMS is not validated. The FMS did not actually predict injury. The FMS did not predict performance. And I kept seeing that in these studies. And I guess my obsession with trying to figure out how to predict an injury led me to a movement expert or however you'd want to call it.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh, Michael. The path that you took, I just think that's amazing in that I mean, it goes to show like how important even questions are and, and diving in and really seeking answers instead of just being like, yeah, I'm going to just do what I've been told or, or go with what I know instead of being like, but why, but why, but why? Like, I think that's important. And even like a business owner can learn from like, you probably should ask why on some of this stuff. So I think that's fascinating. And, um, yeah, I would probably call you a movement expert just based on the explanation. So, and kind of off of that, I know um, that I kind of want to talk to you about some maybe like common mistakes that you see, especially within the CrossFit industry in terms of movement patterns and different things that maybe you could allude to and and dive into just so that we can have, you know, the coaches and affiliates listening, maybe um, really take that and and notice that in their own spaces so that we can, um, you know, Build a, even a better reputation of CrossFit still with getting people moving, you know, yeah. awesomely.
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, I've been very, very fortunate to be able to travel and to a lot of different CrossFit gyms. And I think the biggest thing that probably holds coaches back is the lack of inquisition. Like, there's just no, uh, there's no why. Like, I, I saw people doing mobility-wide stuff day in and day out like smashing and mashing and there's yeah there's a time and place for that and it can help with a lot of people but i saw so many people doing that and then they would immediately get better but then the next day they'd have to do it again and again and again and so the definition of insanity right like you do the same thing expecting a different result i think that's where most coaches probably have like the biggest setback or whatever holds them back is that they, they lack the, the why um, they, they lack the prevent the professional toddler mentality, that two-year-old. That's just like, why, why? Okay. But why? Okay. Why? So if they, if you just step back and watch your classes or watch your athletes, you look at that and you're like, wow, you've been doing that for two years and you're still actually not able to squat how you need to squat. Okay. Maybe we're not doing the right thing. So that's probably where I would say most when I teach like my seminar, um most coaches, that's what usually they take away the most is like, whoa, wait a second, you're right. So
0: yeah, no, I think I think that's huge and, and just asking those questions like you said. I mean, do you have any maybe like uh practical tips to get them, you know, doing that more? Like maybe something they can do to bring that to mind to be like their first, you know, uh, intuition is to ask why versus maybe trying to fix it with what they know. Do you know what I mean? Like any, maybe practical yeah. advice.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, one, I, I totally get the the journey of a coach, you know, especially when you first start out is you can't, you can't always ask why you actually just have to say, Hey, just tell me what to do. And I think that's what the FMS is really beautiful about is that the FMS just says, If you're a one, two here, then this is what you do. And it's super simple. And it's like a, it's an adventure playbook, but at the end of the day, fitness is not an adventure playbook. There's, it's so beautifully complex, but I think the first step for coaches is they should really, you know, read the book movement. That'd be like the number, like if you're, if you're a coach and you haven't read the book movement, you're wrong. Like I'll just put it that way. Like it's as important as super training. So that book is huge. If every coach reads that book, Movement, that will upgrade the, you know, CrossFit and affiliate industry tenfold, hundredfold. That book has been pivotal pivotal in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some other things that they could probably do is just start watching more videos online. You know, there's a lot of good videos out there of people explaining how they use PRI or DNS in their gyms versus having to go to a DNS course where they're gonna go deep into anatomy and all that. So that's what I did before I ever started PRI I was I was listening to Eric Cressy talk about how he uses it. And then I was reading on Craig Levinson on how he uses DNS. Like I didn't go through their courses, but I was like, Oh, he's using that. Oh. And I started to see how it could be applied in a group warm up or in a semi private warm up. Um, so I think YouTube is probably one of the best things out there for that yes, by far.
0: YouTube.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I've looked up so many different things that confused me in grad school on YouTube because my professor couldn't explain it. I was like, I don't get it. I'm going to YouTube it. And then someone on YouTube is like <laughs> able to explain it. And I'm like, oh, man, that makes total sense. Why can't my professor just explain it like that? Or
0: or you find a video and it's to a song and now you have a catchy song stuck in your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: that's what I did for the Krebs cycle when I had to memorize every enzyme in that. That was pretty oh fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you can still sing that to this day. <laughs> mm. Mm.
1: I try not to. <laughs> I was going to say
0: probably not what your go-to is, but it is yeah. interesting how long it sticks. No. And I mean, that's, that's just great advice. And, and even like on top of that, like any, um, continuing education pieces, you know, beyond, you know, YouTube and, and, and movement, you know, things that you would maybe recommend you know coaches and affiliates seek out in order to become you know maybe not movement
1: expert but yeah well i think first i think fms like every single coach should just go through fms just to hear you know how it's done and to understand perspective because there's a lot of good in it too you know people like to harp on it because it's been invalidated in some ways and you know people want to harp on it because it doesn't necessarily predict performance but it's not really supposed to but it does give awareness. And I think that's the first step is a lot of coaches just aren't aware that they're not aware. So if every coach that'd be like the first thing I recommend every coach that's ever been mentored under me, like through our CCP education, Hey man, go through FMS. It's 200 bucks. It's online. It's not a long course. um, And it can really upgrade your thought process because then you get to start seeing things like, Oh man, if I give that specific thing to all of my members, 85% are going to get better that day. So FMS would be one of the continuing education pieces. Um, If you were to want to get into like anatomy, PRI is great, but it is really deep on anatomy. It's like a sniper scope. So just be ready for that. Um, I even like remember sitting in there and like there was a doctor next to me and there was another coach next to me and we're all, we all were looking at each other like, I don't remember this anatomy from our grad school stuff. So just be ready for that. Um, DNS is great. I love DNS because the framework is beautiful. Um, It's so simple in terms of like how you progress people. And that's really where I draw a lot of stuff from is just, it just makes sense. Like start people on the ground, get them to learn how to do a dead bug and then progress them to something a little bit less stable. So the Earth is giving you all the stability. Um, now just roll to your side, so the Earth is giving you stability through your hand and your you know lateral knee. And then move to crawling, and then move to half kneeling, and then move to standing. Those are the progressions, and if you do DNS, that's a great way to progress people through, you know, essentially a warm up. Um, you do like two breathing drills dns a drill or dns b drill and then you do some sort of you know fms drill and half kneeling and then your class is warmed up you don't have to do the classic 50 double unders 400 meter run and etc etc so i think that's those three things fms pri and dns would be fantastic i would be i'd be lying if i didn't think that if you didn't take CCP, like I, I honestly do think CCP is by far the best education platform. Um, and not because I'm paid to say that or biased, but I really feel that OPEX has done the best job at simplifying complicated stuff. We're not going to teach you the science. We're not going to teach you all the ins and outs and the whys, but we're going to teach you exactly what you need to know. So when you go, you know, off and you start doing fitness with other folks, you have every principle you'll ever need. You may not know why you need to do it that way, but you'll know that you need to do it that way. And then when you go take these deeper courses like FMS and PRI and DNS and Exos' stuff or whatever, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah, that follows the same principles. I just now see how I can use them in that way. So I would say that CCP teaches you concepts not techniques, whereas everything else kind of teaches techniques. And if you know a technique, great, you know a technique. But if you know a concept, you know a thousand techniques. So I would say that's probably CCP, FMS, DNS, then PRI in that order would be how I would do it.
0: Hmm. All right, affiliate, you have some homework to go research and decide what's next. (laughs) There's so so much education to take. No, but seriously, thank you for that recommendation. I know sometimes people just... Want straight up to be told, what do you recommend instead of being like, "Well, it's all up to you." It is, but also sometimes people just want to know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. well, I think people, you know once you've once you've worked with enough clients and you've done enough education, you start to realize that the wheel can't be reinvented. It really can't. The wheel is always going to be the wheel. You can put cool spinners and rims on the wheel and make it look cool, but at the end of the day, it's still a wheel, and CCP is the wheel everything else can be rims and spinners that'd be I probably be the way I'd describe it
0: yeah no it's a great analogy so Awesome. And, and Michael, so we've kind of talked about that broad picture and, and maybe where to start with education and such. And, and I know I kind of want to dig deeper more into like the actual, like, what do you do when you step in and you start to evaluate clients, evaluate people on their movement and, and kind of determining where you go from there with them. Um, I'd love to kind of, I know it, every case is different, but you know, kind of where do you start when someone comes in and is like, Hey, like I want you to evaluate my movement and, you know, help me with this.
1: Yeah, I so I always start with patterns before parts. So, in that regards, it's it's actually never different. Um all of my clients go through a full complete movement evaluation with me. I'll look at everything from head to toe. So, I look at neck flexion, neck extension, neck rotation, I look at trunk rotation, I look at forward bending, I look at back bending, I look at single leg stance. I look at single leg stance with eyes closed as well, just to look for vestibular stuff potentially. And then I look at a squat. Um, And then from there, those are just the patterns. Like at the end of the day, that's just kind of what I'm looking at. That's pretty much classic SFMA stuff. And then I break stuff down into the, to the constituent parts. So like, let's say somebody comes to me and they have, you know, uh, they have a squat that, for whatever reason, is not looking good. I can't tell you why it's not good. I can just tell you that, Hey, that's not quite where it needs to be based on your function. So, you know, always understanding the goal of a client. If you're 70 and you just want to play with your grandkids, I probably don't care as much about perfect, you know, full depth squats. Like if you can squat to a chair, that's probably good enough. Um, but if you're a crossfitter, a regionals or games athlete, we're going to dig deep. So I always start with that same exact movement screen, like every single person gets that no matter what. Then from there, just based on their function, I start looking at patterns before parts, which is basically, hey, or I'm sorry, I start looking at the the individual parts. So it's like if you have a right-left component to the movement, I'll break that down. Um, I might change the stability requirement. That's my next step. So let's say your squat is you're folding forward a lot. You can't stay upright. Your parallel, your torso isn't really parallel to your shins. Then I'll just lay you on your back and I'll have you bring your legs to your chest. Can you do it? Yep. Okay, great. You probably actually have enough hip range of motion. Your issue is probably more of a stability or motor control problem. And so we don't need to do a ton of hip flexor mobility or a ton of hamstring stretches. I need to just teach you how to squat better. And so that's generally how I I start working with folks. I always just start with that screen and then I build out the right, left component. And then if I need to, I just change the stability requirement. So, And then from there, it's just about giving them the good program.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that this screening, this evaluation, something that you've just built over time?
1: No, I stole that right from SFMA and FMS, to be honest with you. like That's what I use. I, it works for me. Um, that's what I love about it is that it's principles-based. Like If you just understand... The principle of patterns before parts, and then you start understanding how to break it down into a right left component. It just makes sense. So, if I let's look at your squat, okay, your squat isn't that great. Okay, let's look at a 90 90 split squat where only one hip is flexing. Okay, both hips flexed quite well with a vertical torso. Uh, We can assume that you probably have enough ample range of motion in your hips. Maybe there's something else going on. Now, let's change the stability component. Let's lay you on the ground. Let's look at an active straight leg raise or let's look at a passive knees to chest squat. And let's just see how your spine and hips move through that. So that's the, the squat pattern and all the screening is right out of the FMS SMA playbook. But how I break it down is based on my own principles, not my principles, but principles that I've just kind of been able to use over the years.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, any, any lessons you've learned in doing these evaluations and, and breaking this down for people that maybe you could impart and and share with other coaches? I don't know if there's anything you've seen over the years that works better or that you've learned being like how you approach it with people or how you explain it to people being like, Hey, this is, this is important because.
1: Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say is always understand why someone's doing what they're doing. So if they're wanting to squat, why are they wanting to squat? Is it because they just want to do goblet squats and hang out their kids or do they want to snatch at that point? If they want to snatch, that's when you start caring about something. If they don't want to snatch or squat, maybe you don't have to look at the squat so much. So don't let your biases get in the way. We as coaches, we want to squat. We want to bench press. We want to deadlift. Not everyone does and not everyone should. Some people should just do RDLs because they really can't do full deadlifts. And maybe those people don't even care. But if they do care, you got to figure out how to fix that. And I think for fixing it, it's pretty simple. Just make it look worse. Honestly, like it's, it's not that complicated. I see a lot of people freaking out. Like, I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, how does it look? Well, it doesn't look very good. Okay, make it look worse. Get like their knees cave in, cave their knees in even more. Put a band around their knees and just cave them in and enhance the air is what I would call that. Let's say you, uh, you squat and you keep leaning into your right hip more, like you lean to the right. Great, pull them to the right, make it look worse. They'll correct. You push the knees in, the athlete will correct, push their knees out, boom, they're fixed.
0: That's a great point. You don't think about that. Yeah, I might think about, no, we gotta fix it instead of like, well, why would we just have them fix it by nature?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. really, that or blocking the mistake, like just put a bench in front of somebody's knees. And have them squat watch them not go onto their toes so much they'll actually get a posterior weight shift mm-hmm. take their feet like get a balance beam or take them outside to the curb and have them take half their foot off the curb they can't push their toes down anymore because there's just air there they have no choice but the posterior weight shift take yourself out of the equation coaches feel like we have to fix a lot of stuff and we really that that's like that's our own thing because as coaches we want to fix ourselves. We want to get optimal movement so we can have that best snatch. So we project that onto our clients. And then we're like, hey, why, why, why don't I fix this? And then why don't I fix this? Oh, then I got to fix this. And we get into this like rabbit hole of I have to just constantly fix stuff. When in reality, we should be trying to remove ourselves from the equation. We, we should be trying to get to the point where the client does it all themselves. Go stand on that curb, do a couple squats. Great. Now you know what it's like to squat through your heels. Go do that over there on the uh, on the squat rack. Or, hey, your knees are caving in. Here's this band. Put it around your knees. Go do some squats. Warm up your squat. Don't let the knee cave in. Snap my band in half. Remove yourself from the equation.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that is really solid advice. And, and Michael, kind of going off of that and kind of starting to look at these people individually, I know I also want to talk to you just kind of about... Um, Individual design, you know, individual programming design. I feel like that's a hot topic <laughs> lately. A lot of people are talking about that, and um, I just kind of want to talk about how you uh, go about determining that for the individual, and kind of even what your thoughts are on that. Um, on you know the, just you know what it what it's placed in the industry, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Well, one individual design is it's a hot topic because. People are starting to realize that they need it and they want it. And individual design itself is, is more than just fitness. It's, it's more than just here's your program that's based on you. It's a relationship. So in terms of ind- individual design, like I obviously always will assess my client. But the assessment isn't just let me look at your movement. But it's, hey, what are we here for? What are you, what are you here for? What are you getting out of this? Everyone does something, but there's a benefit to it. What is your benefit for fitness? Is it because you want to ride a mountain bike all the time or what? So figuring out their their need and their wants and then their goals because they could have a goal and a different want. And I think that's the mistake is most clients will have a goal and a want and a need that are slightly different. And there's no way a group program can ever sustainably take care of that. That's why we have box hoppers and people that'll tend to go from like box to box to box. And at the end of the day, people can look at that as a commodity. Whereas you can't look at a relationship as a commodity, right? Like I love every single one of my clients to death. Like the relationship I actually have with them, the learning, like I have a client that was the second in charge or basically the CFO for a large financial institution. The amount I've learned from them surpasses what they've learned from me but that relationship is what allows you know it to be a sustainable growth and fitness too because it's the relationship cannot be a commodity and then that allows trust and when that trust is built up you can start putting different things into a program um, I just think it's really hard to do that in a group model and I think the industry is starting to see that and it's a pendulum because before there was group fitness there was private training and so there was like this one on one and then Somebody figured out, hey, if I have 50 people at a time, I'm going to make a lot more money. So now there's this pendulum over here. But now there's this pendulum that's swinging back that's like, wait, I can have 50 people doing the same thing or all training at the same time but individual designs. And it, you're just starting to see the pendulum swing. Um, but I think that's why it's such a hot topic at least is that I think a lot of people are recognizing that group fitness is just not as sustainable as people would have thought
0: Hmm. I love what you said about just like it, it's about you know it's not a commodity it's really about the relationship and I don't think you realize that I know a relationship is just another probably you know hot word within the industry that everyone throws around relationship and community all of that but I think that's telling about what the impact individual design can have and just you're building a relationship with people you're getting to know them on a deeper level and connecting with them and it's like you said it's yeah. more than just fitness.
1: Yeah. Well, people, people want something to belong to, you know, we're a tribal society with like the outliers of like hermits and like and whatnot. But for the most part, people want something to belong to. And when you have 20 people in the gym, all doing their own individual design yet they're all there at the same time, they all have the same goal but not necessarily the same fitness goal. But at the end of the day, they're there for fitness for a reason to elevate their lives. And some it's athletics, some it's family, some it's health and wellness so they can stay alert and mentally acute while at work. But at the end of the day, they all use fitness to elevate themselves. And if you're doing like a group program, people are starting to realize that they're like, Hey, I want to go to San Diego. I'm going to hop on the bus. And the bus driver's like, Hey, we're actually going to go to Colorado And you're like, I want to go to San Diego. And the bus driver's like, yeah, but Colorado's pretty nice. You'll like it too. And then you're like, okay, I guess I'll go to Colorado. I've always wanted to snowboard. But then you realize that you suck at snowboarding. (laughs) And then you're like, dang, I should have gone surfing. So I think that's where, at least in terms of the industry and its pendulum, they're starting to see that. And that's why it's such a big buzzword. And I think the hard part is just it's not the individual design. It's the actual business system. If your business system doesn't allow for that, you can't do it.
0: Hmm. So then what?
1: You got to restructure your business. I mean, if your marketing and your advertising and all that doesn't really gear towards that, you're going to be picking up the wrong crowd and the wrong people are going to come. It's like if somebody came to a CrossFit gym because you advertised yoga and you don't have yoga, they're going to be like, what? And then at the same time, Let's say you've got to coach 12 classes, you know, a week, and then you have to do 15 privates a week. And then you gotta do individual design and cover the floor hours for that because you gotta have someone on the floor while they're doing it. And then you gotta write programs, and then you're the business owner, so you gotta handle all the business stuff. Like there's not enough time in the day. And so your business system literally just does not allow for it. Your marketing doesn't allow for it. Your systems aren't set up, like your software isn't set up for it you're not going to have any of the technological pieces set up and technology is moving so fast now that if you're not with it two years out you're done it's like trying to have an iphone five and it's 2017 like it just doesn't work
0: i might have an iphone (laughs) five
1: i have a client that has an iphone five and i was like what i was so shocked i was like i get one
0: yep i definitely still have one So that's me, if that says anything about who I am. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fascinating, though. So, I mean, I think maybe it comes back, I feel, like to how we started with asking why, you know, why are you doing things the way you're doing them? Why are you, you know, doing business this way? Why, why, why? And even kind of then letting that lead you down a rabbit hole, hopefully, to something that is more sustainable that's better systems that are you know rock solid and foundational and whether that be individual design or whatnot like i think probably again it comes down to asking why within your business so i think that's pretty safe to say yeah so awesome um michael i I feel like we've talked about a lot of different stuff and and i know we we hit on individual design and um any other keys to it's success that you may want to go over. I know you said one of the big things is like building that trust and those relationships, any other keys to individual design. Um, and then maybe even things you've learned since using it in your life that you could impart in terms of wisdom.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the biggest point of success with individual design is communication like any relationship. Um, I ask my clients about how they're liking the experience and what I can do for them and what they want to get out of stuff. So I can obviously model and tweak everything on FitBot for that's what the software program we use FitBot. Um, that's how I would tweak stuff for them. I think the hardest thing for coaches and honestly, the hardest thing for myself for probably six, seven years was, projecting your own values onto others and we do it without even realizing it right like we we love to squat and do cleans and wall balls and running and rope climbs and somebody comes in you're like yeah you want to get fit we're gonna do cleans and rope climbs and stuff like that and they're like but i just want to run a 5k okay maybe we don't have to do that and i think that's our projection of values and it's the same with nutrition and that's what's beautiful about individual design is i handle everyone's nutrition myself i had a client literally two hours ago sit down at my desk and she's like oh i'm a vegan i was like awesome how can we make this work for you i could tell you that five years ago uh maybe more like seven years ago i would have been like you can't be a vegan you have to eat meat <laughs> so i think probably scared her off she had
0: been like uh
1: yeah and well and that's that's just it right like you got to meet people where they're at and nudge them forward and projecting your values. Cause I, I love a steak. I'm never going to give it up. Um, but projecting my values was something I did a lot of. And I, when I started to realize my own biases, I started to kind of realize how much I pushed that onto people and it was limiting my clients. So that's probably the number one thing is start to recognize your own stuff you know, you can't help people go through things that you haven't helped yourself through or gone through and kind of fixed. So it's kind of like how in some therapy circles, you can't be a therapist for sexual assault victims. If you've, if you've been sexual assault and you've never worked through it, cause then you become emotionally attached. And I, I see it as similar principle with coaching where it's like, Hey, I got to work through my own biases, make sure that I don't have those issues when I have these conversations with clients so I can help guide them in their own way.
0: Hmm. That's wow, yeah, definitely some self cleaning, I guess you could yeah. say, that needs to go on. So
1: yeah, I would say drop the dogma. Hmm. Dogma is the death of mastery.
0: Hmm. Wise words, Michael. Get that <laughs> on a get that on a shirt. Get I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get shirts for all of you OPEX people that I've talked to because everyone has said at least one thing. And I'm like, that should be on the back of your shirt. <laughs> that will be. I would totally quote. rock
1: that shirt. <laughs>
0: yes, and give me your own hashtag. Just start using that. Make your Instagram handle whatever you want.
1: So. <laughs> well, I have, I had a client make my own hashtag, and it's wagon, b a n n <laughs> wagon, and I was so pissed when he did it because I was like, how did I not think of that like what was I doing my life with my life time to
0: get get on the hashtag bandwagon and you can have that for all your clients who are like yeah you should get on the bandwagon and they'll be like what You'd be like yeah he's great
1: <laughs> Yep. there you yeah. go yeah
0: perfect marketing all right right there awesome well cool <laughs> um michael anything else that you wanted to add anything at all last words that you think other affiliates could benefit from hearing come out of your magical movement mind
1: yeah i think uh coaches just need to get into the trenches more start assessing and screening movement every day um i did it for years for free at a if you're if you're a coach and you're listening to this and you're at a commercial gym walk up to random people and be like hey can i just watch you do a split squat and then just take notes and mental notes and just don't ever stop watching i think that's the biggest thing is we become complacent we think we know enough And then we're complacent. And in reality, you can't do that. Like, if you want to become a good, great, awesome, amazing expert, whatever, master coach, you just have to get into the trenches and never stop watching.
0: Yep. You will never know everything because everything keeps changing. So... Yeah, no, for sure. Awesome. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for just... Yeah, thank you. Yeah, divulging so much information and and, and really going into um, the trenches yourself um, and down the various rabbit holes we took. But it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, I think some people are going to walk away with their heads spinning, but in a really positive way. So hopefully um, you guys will yeah listen to michael's words and do some research on next steps on you know diving more into this and and thinking about movement thinking about individual design thinking about these different things that we talked about and asking why a whole lot more so michael thank you very
1: much yeah thanks for having me